You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. There is an idea for people who are kind of just coming to the understanding of why buying Black is important or the Buy Black movement, that the movement is centered around Black consumers, right? That Black entrepreneurs make products for Black consumers. Being committed to the Buy Black movement is not just for Black people. It is for all people, and products made by Black entrepreneurs have a universal appeal as well. Your life, it's going to change. Jobs, kids, houses. Are you financially ready to enjoy the ride? Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with a financial advisor today because you've got a lot to look forward to, but it definitely helps to be prepared. Hey, everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. We are right now in the middle of holiday shopping season, which is why it is the perfect time, I think, to pause for a sec and think about where our money is going, what kinds of businesses we're supporting. Consumers have made it very clear that we care about a company's values. A recent Harris Poll survey found 82% of shoppers want a brand's values to match their own values, and they are not afraid to vote with their wallets. And we know how powerful it can be when we use our money to stand up for our values, when we support women-owned businesses and Black-owned businesses. Black-owned businesses, by the way, contribute over $200 billion to our economy every year, and yet only 1% of the venture capital funding in the U.S. goes to Black entrepreneurs. 17% of Black women are in the process of starting a new business, which makes them the fastest-growing group of entrepreneurs in the country. But with this tremendous lack of access to funding, only 3% of those women are still running their businesses at the five-year mark. And this inequality in business and entrepreneurship, it just feeds into the overall wealth gap between white and black families, which has been far too great for far too long. According to data from the Federal Reserve in St. Louis, the median white family has $184,000 in wealth. Compare that to just $23,000 for black families. Today, we are going to dig into how we can close these gaps by helping Black-owned businesses succeed, and we're doing it with LaToya Williams-Belfort, the executive director of the 15% Pledge, which is a not-for-profit that has called on major retailers to dedicate 15% of their purchasing power to Black-owned businesses. Since it was founded in 2020, 29 companies, companies you've heard of, have committed to the pledge, including Sephora and Macy's, Gap, Madewell, West Elm, and the pledge has helped more than 600 Black-owned businesses connect with these retailers. As the executive director, LaToya works with the pledge's founder, Aurora James, to 
lead the organization's staff, programs, fundraising, and expansion. She is also an expert in not-for-profit management. And before joining the pledge, she spent over 10 years leading several different charitable organizations in New York City, including the Jericho Project, Partnership with Children, Children of Promise, and the United Way. LaToya, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Jean. I'm so excited to be here and to have this conversation at this very important time, holiday spending, tons of money moves to our economy, and really excited to be able to share how people can get involved from a consumer perspective to ensure that we're using our economic power to support retailers and businesses and really live our values through our spend. So thank you for having me, and thank you for that very comprehensive, data-driven explanation of who we are and why we do this work at the 15% Pledge. My listeners know I'm I'm all about the data. I like the data, but I want to dive right into the pledge. It was born at a very tumultuous moment in our recent history. Can you tell us how it started? Absolutely. So our founder, Aurora James, who is the creative director and owner, right? She's also an entrepreneur, which I think is really important to our brand story at the pledge. She is the creative director for the accessories line, Brother Velez, and she's a you know social advocate. And during the racial uprising of 2020, which was centered around the unfortunate killing of Mr. George Floyd, many corporations and retailers were releasing statements to solidify, to concretize, to double-click on their commitment to the Black community. And Aurora used her platform to say, we appreciate the commitment, but most importantly, we need a tangible application to solve some of these very systemic and historical problems so that we go forward from this moment really with a path for change. So she asked, retailers and corporations to dedicate 15% of their annual spend to Black-owned businesses. 15% being indicative of the population approximately of Black people in the U.S. And why that was so important was some people may say that sounds like a traditional supplier diversity framework. But what Aurora was saying to retailers was, we really need to hone in on Black. You know, as the whole world is talking about systemic racism in 2020 and all of the racial and attached economic injustices, we really need to think about how we go forward and support Black people in a holistic way and really hone in on the untapped market share, to your point, $200 billion going into the economy. But what could that really represent as it relates to closing the racial wealth gap? if Black people had an equal opportunity and an equitable opportunity to do business in a way that set them up to be successful. What does it mean tactically when you're saying devote 15% of your purchasing power to Black-owned businesses? What steps do they have to take to get to that point? That's a great question. And that's something that we always try to ensure that our Community members and partners and stakeholders fully understand. Taking the pledge is a multi-year contractual agreement. So all of those 29 retailers that have taken the pledge have signed a contract that is no shorter than four years. And you could look at a partner like Nordstrom has signed a 10-year contract. And what taking the pledge in those contracts represent is 
The majority of our 29 pledge takers, when starting a partnership, when entering a contract with a 15% pledge, are indexing at 3% as it relates to Black businesses in their ecosystem, right? And how do you go from that 3% to 15% representation over the course of the partnership with the pledge? And it's not just about how do you get to 15%, it's how do you do it sustainably, and really understand the journey of the Black entrepreneur and the overall value of what they have to bring from an innovation perspective into your business model. So those contracts are the work plan. And also, it's really important for us to be a data-driven organization because we're also an accountability partner. So once that contract is signed and we know we're indexing at 3% and the goal is 15%, really how are we using the data to inform the way in which we work to get us to go over a multi-year horizon? Was it easy to get the first? Who was first? I mean, was it easy to get the first one? And I want to support that first one. And has it been a slog to get more retailers to fully commit? Well, Aurora launched the pledge. She put the call to action into the universe in May of 2020. And the first pledge taker to take the pledge was Sephora. So they have been doing this work with the organization from the very, very beginning. I joined Aurora in this work and on this journey in December of 2020. And then we had subsequent partners join over the last two years. And that's really important to note that everybody has taken the pledge at a different time. Everybody has a custom relationship, although the proposition is universal, right? 15%. But we really work to ensure that folks are doing it in the best ways possible for their business model. So everybody has a custom relationship. And 2020, the whole world has been talking about, well, was talking about systemic racism and racial injustice. So was the conversation about taking the pledge easier in air quotes? (laughs) Yes, in 2020, it was easier. There is a term called compassion fatigue. It's kind of what we've experienced present day. The news cycle has changed. There are many challenging things going on in the world. You know, the constant conversation about systemic racism is a real emotional trauma. And especially for non-people of color who are really digging into these critical conversations, some for the first time just two years ago. So over the last two years, has the work become more difficult? Yes. But the antidote to that, what I like to say the antidote is, is that The 29 pledge takers who are leading the way, doing this work from a collective impact model, understand that this is about good business. And that although they might come to this work thinking that it's solely a diversity, equity, and inclusion proposition, and obviously there are a lot of foundational roots in a diversity, equity, and inclusion framework and space and connectivity to our work. But it's really about good business. And when Black entrepreneurs have an opportunity to have equitable access to these types of partnerships and they're supporting in the right ways, it really is an untapped market for retailers who, you know, present day, the brick and mortar retailer 
is in one of the most difficult situations that they've been in in a long time, right? When we think about the supply chain, when we think about direct-to-consumer business models, when we think about, you know, a variety of things just economically that are challenging us as a society at the moment. So this is an opportunity for retailers to understand that taking the pledge, committing to Black-owned businesses is really an innovative business approach. So what have you seen in the last two years? I mean, what has been the impact of these partnerships? Do you have any kind of a dollar figure? Yes. So we have shifted $10 billion between the 29 partners that we work with and our over 600 Black businesses that we've integrated in a variety of different ways into those ecosystems. So $10 billion in revenue, relationship revenue has been generated through our work. So the Sephora's of the world, have they seen their business grow as a result of being a part of this partnership? Is that sort of what that $10 billion is? Is it incremental revenue to Sephora and Nordstrom and West Elm and the rest? So that $10 billion is directly connected to the dollars that have been committed to to Black-owned businesses, the relationships that have been developed through our work. So that's 625 businesses and those 29 retailers, those purchase orders, those, you know, initiatives that we run, those different pop-ups that we have orchestrated, that is all of the revenue and relationship value that has been generated through those exercises. I think I will let Sephora talk to their actual income projections and revenues after taking the pledge. But what I can say is that they have definitely uncovered some really interesting people have been really excited. Customers have been really excited about the new brands and the new founders and the new opportunities that have been integrated into their product assortment through their work with the pledge. We are all out there holiday shopping right now. And so I'd love to talk about some of the specific businesses and entrepreneurs that you've been able to elevate through the pledge, maybe some places for us to dig in and do a little bit of holiday shopping. But before we do that, let me just remind everybody that we know that life comes at you very fast. And there could be wedding bells on the horizon or a promotion around the corner or a grandchild on the way. My people would say mazel tov. The question is, Are you financially prepared for everything that life has in store? If you've got a plan, then you can be ready. Visit our sponsor, Edelman Financial Engines, at planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with an advisor where you'll be able to work with an expert to review your current situation, to develop a long-term strategy, to help you embrace all of these amazing moments. Schedule your free appointment today. I'm talking with Latoya Williams-Belfort. She is executive director of the 15% pledge. So that $10 billion that you've been able to move into the hands of these 600 entrepreneurs and companies, that's fantastic. Tell me some stories. Tell me about some of the businesses and the entrepreneurs that you've seen elevated through the pledge. Absolutely. So we have a glass company, Estelle Colored Glass. And uh, oh, I know this company. That's a very popular one. And it still's done really great business. A glass company, a houseware item. She has a variety of products that are great for all type of gifting, personal use, 
just a really universal quality product. And the reason why I always like to really refer to what the glass company is doing is that there is an idea for people who are kind of just coming to the understanding of why buying black is important or the buy black movement, that the movement is centered around black consumers, right? That black entrepreneurs make products for black consumers. And you look at a company like Estelle Colored Glass and you understand that it's just a really cool product with a very great variety and good for everyone, right? Everyone that is interested in living their values, everyone that understands the importance economically of closing the racial wealth gap, what that means for our overall economy. And then again, a really good showcase of understanding that being committed to the Buy Black movement is not just for Black people. It is for all people and products made by Black entrepreneurs have a universal appeal as well. So I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm right, I believe I saw some of Estelle's products in the new flagship Nordstrom on 57th Street in New York. And they have an amazing, for anybody who's taking a trip to New York, if you just want to like go into a houseware section and have just a massive case of FOMO, you should go to this Nordstrom because it's everything is beautiful. I wanted everything and I had no way to take anything home. So I didn't shop, but I did really love these glasses. What I didn't know, though, looking at them in Nordstrom was that they're part of the pledge. And and I'm wondering when I'm shopping at Sephora, when I'm shopping at West Elm, is there an effort underway to let me as a consumer know that I'm supporting the pledge? We are working. We started to do a lot of work with our retail partners first on the web applications to really be able to identify for consumers to be able to search for Black founders, to search for Black brands, and then be able to identify who those brands are and then shop those brands. And then we're continuing to do work with our partners to make that identification more seamless in-store. But that's all a part of the process. When we talk about a multi-year horizon to do this work in the most sustainable way, you know, there's so many nuances to shelf space acquisition, so to speak, and then long-term partnership to ensure that we bring everybody along the journey so that we can, you know, get to the goal, which is $1.4 trillion generated through our efforts into the overall economy by 2030. How about other companies that you are especially proud of? Yeah. So we're also really proud of Black and Bold Coffee. So Black and Bold Coffee is, you know, a traditional coffee brand. And, you know, a lot of Black founders are making really great grocery items. We're seeing more and more food items that are coming into market. So Black and Bold Coffee is sold at Macy's. And a really, you know, we have so many coffee drinkers, you know, everybody is thinking about coffee and all the different expressions of coffee, except for tea drinkers, I guess. Uh, (laughs) We won't hold it against them. Right, exactly. Black and Bold Coffee is also one of those really great universal products that's great for self-use and great for gift-giving as well. So really excited about kind of what they're doing, how they're growing and developing in the market and working with retailers to 
really drive revenues in that untapped market. I know a lot of the initial partnerships that the pledge had were with fashion companies and beauty companies. And that made sense, right? Given Aurora's background in fashion. Are there any specific industries or products that you're hoping to bring in? Yeah, well, listen, I would actually reverse engineer that question a little bit. And we get this a lot at the pledge. To your point, you know, uh, traditional retail, fashion and beauty are at the core, are at the DNA of what we do, right? It's, it, we're always going to be looking for those brands to match up with retailers. But as we go into year three of this work and we really try to onboard those big box retailers, when you think about Walmart and when you think about Target and when you think about the assortments that are carried in those retailers, it's really important for us to continue to be strategic about diversifying the Black brands that are in our business equity community. We have a business equity community of over 2,500 Black brands at different stages of maturation that we grow and develop to ensure that they're ready to scale into the supply chains of our retail partners. So as we work to Walmart and Target and Costco, right? Because those retailers, as it relates to what their annual revenue is and what that 15% represents in this overall goal to get to 1.4 trillion, we need to be in collective impact partnership with those retailers because it's great to go it alone. And we know some of those retailers are doing the work. It's great to go it alone, but really to see a huge societal systems change, we know that it has to be a collective impact approach. So in the process to acquire partnership with those big box retailers, we have to be really intentional about diversifying our Black businesses so that every category is an opportunity for people to participate in the Buy Black movement, Shop Black, but most importantly, just really experience great products from Black entrepreneurs. Have you, I'm just sort of thinking, and I grew up in this world of media, right, in magazines and television, and I just am wondering, have you thought about partnerships, I'm sure you have, with HGTV or QVC? It seems like that would be an incredible showcase for all of these brands that would translate into future sales. You're thinking about it exactly right, Jean. If you look at our 29 partners that are currently working with us, you'll notice that we have some what we call non-traditional pledge takers. Again, I'm doing my air quotes. You'll see Yelp. You'll see Vogue. You know, you'll see some of those partners for that exact reason, the way that you're thinking about it. It's really about What are all the different prongs and opportunities and ways in which we can think about this proposition, you know, in the most holistic way? And again, collective impact. How do we bring everybody together to create as much equal access and equity as possible? So, you know, we're starting with the partners in our portfolio, but definitely on that thread of thinking, trying to work with additional partners to create more visibility, right, in addition to access and sales, which is very important. But visibility for Black brands is very important as well, because once consumers commit to joining this movement and being participatory and using their economic power very thoughtfully and strategically to mirror their values, we want to make sure that they know what brands are available and where they are and they can easily access them. So we're absolutely thinking about those types of partnerships and the work ahead. So my listeners are exactly as you described. We talk an awful lot 
on this show about spending your values and how when you spend in line with your values, you just feel happier about the use of your money. And and that includes giving it away, but it also includes the things that you want to buy. If they want to do that now, if they want to do that this holiday season going into the new year, what's the best way for them to put their money toward the companies that are associated with the pledge? So a few ways to activate pretty quickly uh, as everybody is making their lists and checking them twice. First, following our Instagram at the pledge is, I think, a very important information source as we just get more acclimated with the Buy Black movement and where products are and who the founders are and all of the cool elements, right? The sustainability pieces, because, you know, yes, it's buy Black. Yes, it's close the racial wealth gap. Yes, it's Black founder. But when you really start to look at the product descriptions, there are some really cool products that are environmentally friendly, like all cool stuff. So our Instagram, we really are committed to showcasing products and founders and, and where they are sold and carried. So stay close to our Instagram if you're not liking and following, please do. Also a great way to share the cool things that you find and the, the things that you learn with your communities, professionally, family, et cetera. The other, I think, uh, avenue is the 29 partners that are doing this work with us, right? They all have curated selections, again, on their website and in store that you can shop this holiday season. And then at the pledge, we're working on something really cool that Right now, we can't talk in much detail about, but we will have a hub in person and online that will make shopping Black very easy this holiday season. And more details will be coming out about that in a very, very short order. So in those three options, I think stay tuned and we hope to really make the connectivity between the impact and the importance and the accessibility this holiday season as $800 billion goes through our economy. We want to make sure that shopping Black is a priority. And that Instagram is 15% pledge, correct? Yes. Okay. I know that you've also just announced a new grant for Black-owned businesses. Can you tell us anything about that? Yes. So, you know, in doing this work, the number one barrier to access is capital. How you gave a great stat earlier about the Black businesses being started and how many make it past, you know, three years and also about Black women and how they're engaging in large numbers around entrepreneurship. But really, from a systemic approach, what history has shown us is that Black entrepreneurs have a much harder time getting bank loans, getting access to venture capital. And we know that capital is king, right? As it relates to really being able to roll out a product and a business in the most sustainable and productive way. So as a nonprofit organization, as an advocacy organization that is working to provide support, again, we have a business equity community and we have very deep feedback channels with that community. That's a big part of our work to ensure that partnerships between Black entrepreneurs and retailers are quality long-term partnerships. We also want to make sure that our Black-owned businesses have access to other growth and development they need. So the Achievement Award was born. 
And we're really excited. We have an annual gala, which we kicked off last year in New York City at the New York Public Library. And it was a great success. We had over 250 partners and stakeholders and corporate partners in the room really celebrating this work that we've been doing in the middle of a global pandemic. So last year was our first time to really come together. And, you know, what we know as we continue to deepen, again, our partnerships and our roots within the Black business community, that we had to find a way to build that bridge towards providing real funding, real funding that could be life-changing for a business. So we're excited to announce Achievement Award. Three businesses will win a total of $250,000. The grand prize is a $200,000 grant to a Black business. And we really were thoughtful and intentional about ensuring that the level of grant, the amount of grant, again, our founder, Aurora James, had to bootstrap her business. You know, she started in a flea market in New York City with $3,500 and has been bootstrapping her way through, you know, and she really understands the importance of, of grants, but really grants that really allow your business an opportunity to innovate be sustainable, and can really impact your business from a growth perspective. So we're really excited to be able to give that level of support to a Black-owned business and, again, then two runner-up grants as well. And we're really excited to announce that at our gala, which will be happening in February. We'll be kicking off Black History Month this year with our second annual gala. And that award right now for the Achievement Award, the first Achievement Award, we're accepting applications on our website until December 9th. You know, again, you can follow that process on our social media, on our Instagram, on our website, 15percentpledge.org. And accepting applications to the ninth, there's going to be two opportunities for public voting because we really want to cast a wide net. So all of the Black entrepreneurs that are listening today or all of, you know, the community that may have Black entrepreneurs in their networks, please share this with them. We want to cast a wide net and really make sure that everybody has an opportunity to their business plan and, and to go up for review because we're hopeful that this will be really impactful and we plan to do it year over year as we continue to get more support and really grow it so that we can have more and more entrepreneurs that have the level of capital that they need to be successful. Oh, there's a business in my neighborhood. I am going to send your way. Before we wrap up, LaToya, I just want to go quickly back to 2020. And you talked about how the pledge came out of a big national movement, a point in time where racial justice was at the center. Where do you think we are now? Do you think that we've carried forward those lessons? And, and what else needs to be done to truly get us there? That is a very big question, Jean. <laughs> Uh, I feel like 2020 was a huge inflection point for us societally. And I think a lot of critical conversations were happening in 2020. And I think we have to be committed to continuing those critical conversations and the discomfort that comes along with those critical conversations. Because at the pledge, that's where we've seen change, right? Where we've really been able to identify challenges in the system and how we want to re-engineer our way forward. And I think, yes, I think a lot of things that we're doing at the pledge, we would not have been able to do in 2018, 
right? There just weren't pathways for partnership. There wasn't a community understanding of the real importance of this. So I think from a progress perspective, I think 2020 has definitely sparked a lot of progress and progress continues to be made. I I see that every day in the work that we do with the 15% pledge. But to really get to a place where we really are an equitable organization, really where we understand and our fabric equal opportunity for all, we have a lot of work to do. Agreed. Agreed on that. We are so happy to have you here. So happy to be able to talk about the work that you're doing and to hopefully bring the members of our community into yours. Happy holidays. Thank you so much for being here. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you, Jean. This was very much time well spent. And I hope to see all of your followers on our Instagram, you know, shopping Black with us this holiday season and just learning more about using their economic power in the best ways. Thank you. Before we dive into Mailbag, just a reminder that Her Money is proudly supported by BCU. BCU is a credit union that measures its success by empowering members to achieve their financial goals. They want your banking experience to be authentic, to be friendly, which is why its products let you bank in confidence and its caring service gives you peace of mind. See if you're eligible for what BCU has to offer at bcu.org. And let's say hello to Catherine Tuggle, who is joining us for Mailbag. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Jean. So I have to ask, how's your shopping list looking? My shopping list is fairly incomplete. We don't do Hanukkah in a major way in our family. I tend to get sort of one large gift for each kid I don't do eight little things anymore. That was fun, but we're kind of over it. And... So yeah, my shopping list is feeling a little bit incomplete. I'm a little more focused on end of the year charitable giving, actually, trying to figure out where and by how much I want to support the various organizations that we support on a regular basis. How about you? Yeah, I don't have many people to buy for. There's not a whole lot of kids in our family who are, you know, under 18, which is where I think the potential to really go crazy kind of skyrockets. But my mom is easy, thankfully. I'm just getting her books. And same for my husband, actually. I know a lot of people who like to read, so so that's usually (laughs) usually some low-hanging fruit there. But yeah, I love mostly just the vibe around the holidays. And I have been looking to support women-owned businesses more and Black-owned businesses more. So I think this show is really timely. Yeah, yeah, same. There's a wonderful business in Philadelphia called Second Daughter Baking Company. And they make brownies. I mean, they make many things, but they make these incredible brownies. And that's what I think I'm going to send to the people that I want to send to this year, just in a smaller sort of a way. There was an event in Philadelphia to support the Rittenhouse Square Park, which is right near where I live. And they brought in a lot of local food vendors. And I walked past these young women who were from Second Daughter, and one of them used to be a door person or a door woman in 
my mother's apartment building. And she said, hello. And I said, what are you doing here? And she had started this baking company, which is pretty well known now in Philadelphia, but I hadn't known it was her. So it was fun to put all the pieces together. And I was able to scarf a couple of brownies and they were insane. So I'm headed in that direction. Oh my gosh. But not for you because you're (laughs) gluten-free. That does sound amazing. I do love a good brownie. But it was that business that I was telling LaToya that I was going to call Mercedes and basically tell her that she should apply for this grant because I think in their growth phase, they could definitely use it. Yeah, absolutely. It's so exciting. More brownies for all, hopefully. More brownies for all. Yeah, that should be the slogan going into 2023. (laughs) More brownies for all. How about more answers for all? I know we've got questions. Our first question today comes to us from Jennifer. She writes, hello. I was fortunate to encounter someone early in my career who told me to always pay myself first and take advantage of company matching options and 401k programs. My nieces are teenagers, and I want to help them start learning how to invest and think about how they want to shape their financial goals since they all have part-time jobs and are planning to go to college or are in college. They've already opened IRAs, so they have an awareness of retirement planning, and they've worked hard on securing scholarships so they can avoid debt for school. I've been looking for a gift that would help them learn how to mold their financial future and give them confidence dealing with and talking about money and investments, particularly when they want a raise one day. I thought I would give them some money to open an account so they could start learning how the market works. I'd like your opinion on programs or tools available to help young women learn about investing and that lets them begin to invest and learn the ropes in a supported environment. If you can't recommend a specific product, What factors should I consider when looking for a program? I want it to be geared to a younger audience so it engages them. Thank you in advance for your insight. Jennifer, I love this question. I think if we get people engaged from a young age, particularly as the markets grow over time, that's how people become lifelong investors. They they see that they have the ability to do it when they're young. They watch their money grow and it just feeds their enthusiasm to keep going. I'm actually gonna toot our own horn here because I think that we've got some of the best products available for your particular question. First of all, we've got a great book which is specifically for young women your niece's age. It's called How to Money. Catherine and I wrote it with the entire Her Money team. It addresses all of the topics that you are talking about. And so send us your address. Catherine will reach out and get your address and let us put a couple of copies of this book in the mail for your nieces. If you want to tell us their names, we'll be happy to sign them for your nieces and hopefully that can help them get going. You also asked about a specific investing program. And for that, I think they should check out our investing fix program. It's not specifically geared to young women, but we do have women of all ages in the program at this point. We run it like an investing club and it's very sticky because we have participants choosing the investments that actually go in our portfolio. They decide what to buy. They decide what to sell. Some of them have gotten involved in teeing up particular investments that they're interested in and letting the group as a whole evaluate them. It's 
very engaging. And I actually think that they'll like it. So I would love them to try that as well. Maybe you could try it with them. Maybe you could all sign on together for a couple of our Monday night sessions and see what you think. I run Investing Fix, by the way, with Karen Feinerman, who is a professional investor. If they watch CNBC, they've probably seen her on the air. She's a rock star investor. And it's a very nice way to get your feet wet with relatively low stakes. So check it out. You can find more at hermoney.com or at investingfix.com. We spell fix with two X's and you'll be on your way. And in the meantime, when we reach out, just send us your address and we'll be happy to try to get you those books before the holidays hit. Love that. I also love, I have to say, the Investing Fix newsletter that goes out because it's not just the classes that you're learning. You're learning every week, every single Friday. And I have been editing and writing financial content for 20 years. I have never learned as much about the markets as I do when I'm editing that newsletter. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Well, that's really nice to hear. Yeah, it's plain English investing. It's a plain English take on what happened this week in the markets, in the economy, and in the investments in our portfolio or the other investments that we've looked at along the way. The newsletter comes out every Friday. It goes to participants in our Investing Fix program. And we also have a mailbag in the newsletter where we answer their questions. So full service effort. Yes, yes, definitely. Our next question comes to us from Val. She writes, I'm considering purchasing I-bonds. Is there anything you can tell me about them? Advantages, disadvantages, etc.? I am 65. So Val, there has been a lot of interest in I-bonds. I'm not surprised that we got a question about them. And the reason that there's so much interest is that the return on I-bonds, the amount of money that you stand to make by putting your money in I-bonds is substantially higher than the money that you could currently get by putting your money in a savings account or buying a CD. An I-bond is a government bond. It's akin to a savings bond that has two ways to pay you. You earn a fixed rate of interest and you earn a rate that changes with inflation. So earlier in the year, I-bonds were paying over 9% and everybody was rushing out to buy them. Inflation has actually come down a little bit. And so the rate was recently reset and now they're paying 6.89%, so almost 7%, still a very, very good rate of return. What you need to understand about I-bonds is that they do have early redemption penalties. You are going to have to hold onto your I-bonds for at least a year. You can't get your money out earlier than a year. And if you want to get your money out in between one year and five years, you'll pay a penalty of three months interest. Now, when you compare interest rates on savings accounts and I-bonds, that three months doesn't seem like a lot of downside to me, but it's important that you know about it. FYI, you also have to hold the bonds for a full 20 years before they'll reach maturity if you want them to reach maturity. 
You can only buy $10,000 in I-bonds each year. You have to buy them directly from the government through the Treasury Direct website, but it's a pretty easy thing to do. And if you have more than $10,000 that you want to put into them and you have another family member, you can each buy $10,000 worth. And if you've got a business in the family, the business can also buy $10,000 worth. So there are ways to get around the limits in how much you could buy. But I think they are a nice holding for your portfolio, even though the rate is no longer 9%. As inflation moderates, the interest rate will continue to come down. But at that point, you could ask yourself if you want to continue to hold on or if you want to put your money somewhere else. Thank you so much, Jean. Yeah, that's a really good point. You can decide where you want your money to go next. Exactly. And we should always be reevaluating. For many investments, we put our money in, we let it go, we just continue to roll along with the punches. But particularly right now with interest rates on the rise, if you've got money, for example, in a plain vanilla savings account, well, you are losing day by day by day by day. You're doing significantly better by moving it into a high interest rate savings account like the ones that are offered by our sponsor BCU. You're getting significantly more interest by moving your money into certain CDs. So I know we've been living in this low interest rate environment for a really long time. Now is the time to start to get opportunistic once again. Catherine, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Jean. And I just wanted to let you know that this week's episode is also sponsored by Daffy. Daffy is a not-for-profit community built around a new, modern way to give through its unique donor-advised fund. And their mission is to help people be more generous more often, which is something we can all get behind. They make it easy for you to contribute. You can contribute with a linked bank, with Apple Pay, and any major debit or credit card. You can even use stock or crypto to make donations. And then, whenever you want, you can give to over 1.5 million charities, schools, and faith-based organizations in a matter of seconds, either from their app or their website. They just launched Daffy for Families too, which enables you to give with your loved ones from the same fund. So start giving with Daffy today and get your free $25 to give to the charity of your choice. Just go to daffy.org slash hermoney. In this week's Thrive, let's spend a little more time on the concept of donor-advised funds, also known as DAFs. DAFs, D-A-F-S, DAFs are 501c3 public charities to which you can make charitable contributions and receive a tax deduction in the same year that you contribute. Once you donate money, stock, even cryptocurrency to a fund, it can be invested with the goal of growing for the future. And then, at your discretion, you can make gifts, they're called grants, to charities from your account. I have a DAF, and I've got to say, making grants makes me feel like a real philanthropist. There are many reputable DAFs, some with larger financial institutions, some offered in local areas through community foundations, some newer options from fintechs like DAFI, which is short for the Donor Advised Fund for You. 
There's usually a minimum amount required to open a DAF and possibly a minimum balance to maintain it, and typically administrative costs are low. But read the fine print for a specific DAF before making your initial contribution. When it comes to your taxes, and this is important, you can only take a deduction in the year that you contribute to the fund if you itemize. However, you can still grant money to your charities from the fund in years that you don't itemize. For example, maybe you contribute $10,000 to a DAF in 2022 and you grant 5,000 of it to your favorite charity in 2022 and another 5,000 in 2023 perfectly legit. And by donating things other than cash to your DAF, you can benefit even further. Donate stock with a low purchase price and you not only get the itemized deduction equal to the fair market value of that stock, up to 30% of your adjusted gross income, you also avoid paying any capital gains taxes since you're not selling the stock The DAF is. Just note, you have to have held that stock for at least 12 months. DAFs are growing in popularity because of these tax benefits and because they're helping more people create smart giving strategies as part of their overall financial plans. Also, in my humble opinion, because they're fun. If you're interested in this concept and you want to get your loved ones involved, we've also heard of people creating giving clubs that center around a shared donor-advised fund. Maybe a nice addition or alternative to gifting this holiday season. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to LaToya Williams-Belfort for sharing all the amazing progress that the 15% pledge has made and for showing us how we can all support Black-owned businesses, not just this holiday season, but year-round. If you like what you hear, I hope that you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU and Daffy. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk soon. 